I think we get so caught up in a lack of time that we don't realise the time we have. We're so busy, we're not productive in it. Oh, we yeah. waste so much time being stressed out about stuff that doesn't matter. Absolutely. If we were to actually pull back and simplify, we'd be amazed at how much. And I'm preaching to myself. Doing, right? Well, no, but yeah. you're doing this, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, but because I see the power in it, yeah, I see the value in it. This is it, this is what fulfills me now. Hey there, and welcome to Breaking Out the Podcast. It's great to have you back. This is episode 16. If you're a bit of a long-time listener to this show, if you've devoured all 15 prior episodes, you might be wondering where I've been for the last couple of months. In fact, I think it's been three months since my last release. August. It's a bit of a shocker. It's not what I intended to do. I really, really hoped that I'd be releasing these on a more regular schedule. And the funny thing about this is that I've actually had a couple of interviews already pre-recorded, ready to go, but... I haven't been able to publish them because I've been working on something really, really awesome. I've been head down on a new venture. I hinted at this in previous podcast episodes. I talked about a little bit of my presentation at Spark. And just last week, I launched it to the world. It's called Unfold, your photography business coach. I'm offering coaching, mentoring, tutoring services for other photographers who are in business. Because I really, really, really want to see photography businesses succeed. Just between you and me, the idea is that eventually I'll move from photography into other creative arts as well, but I'm going to start with my niche, I'm going to start with the area I know, and that's wedding photography. To really make the biggest impact as quick as possible, the reason I've had my head down for the last three months is because I've built an online course. This online course is probably two years in the planning, about nine months of reading, researching, testing, trying, formulating ideas, making sure they work and writing them down, and then three or four months of actually technically pulling the course together. And it's those three or four months of just getting everything down into this course. That's what I've been working on for the last three months. And when I've been head down in this course, I haven't wanted to do anything else. That's really important for me, right? When I choose to do something, I go all in. And I've gone all in on this 12-week marketing course. So that's what the course is. It's 12 weeks to Wedding Photography Marketing Mastery. Every week you get drip-fed a new module with a new bunch of lessons on something slightly different. So we talk about email marketing, we talk about building the right sort of content, we talk about structuring your website, we talk about getting SEO right, we talk about social media and then boosting social media with advertising and pay-per-click advertising. We talk about building relationships with vendors, with working harder to make sure your clients are referring weddings to you, etc, etc. It's 12 weeks. It's absolutely chocker full of cool marketing ideas. And I'm so, so excited that I'm able to release this to the world. So that's where I've been for the last two or three months. That's why you haven't heard from me. That's why there haven't been any breaking out podcast episodes in your ears. But now that's out to the world, now that I've released that, I can back off a little bit and I can start bringing you these episodes again. Today's episode was really interesting because I did record it a few months ago. And I theoretically, I could have released it a few months ago as well. And I even listened to it and I made my notes a few months ago, but in getting ready to release it this week, I went back over it and I listened to it again. And I think I really needed this episode. I needed this conversation and I needed to hear it now. It meant so much more to me when I went through and listened to it yesterday and edited it and made some notes out of it than it did three months ago when I first heard it. Because what Vanessa, today's guest, talks about in this episode is something really, really similar to what I've gone through. 
She talks about this idea of a season of investment in any kind of business has the season of investment. Overnight successes, they're based on a whole lot of work that goes in beforehand. And I feel like that's what I've been through over the last three slash nine months with Unfold. And when I listened to this episode again yesterday to, to edit it for you, it all just kind of aligned and came together beautifully and I, and I needed it. So I needed this episode and I'm putting it out there today in the hope that you do too. So today's episode Episode 16 of Breaking Out the Podcast is author Vanessa Everts. Hey, so welcome to Breaking Out the Podcast. I'm sitting here today at the lovely, calm Tatahi Bay with writer Vanessa Everts. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Hey, thanks for bringing me here. It's beautiful. Perfect place to bring you. It is lovely. My local. It's her local. And just in case you wonder what the squawking is, that is seagulls who are surrounding the van looking for some food. <laughs> so today we're talking to Vanessa about writing been an author. Yes. Vanessa is a writer. She has one published book so far, mm-hmm. two more that have been written, yeah. and at least another five coming, coming up <laughs> very soon. Yeah. So we want to talk today about your writing. We want to talk about your habits, your style of writing, what you're writing about, and the journey you go through to get that work out there, get it published, get it sold, and, and the response yeah. you're getting from that as well. So I appreciate you coming along today. My pleasure. So let's start with, you have a young family. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about how you balance time to write with being a parent. Yes. Because it's something quite personal to me because I've been through that. Um, it's been tough for me in the last year and a half, two years to figure that out. Yeah. How's it gone for you? I've learned a lot over the process of writing three books. I've learned a lot about me and what I need as a creative person, but also what I need to fulfill my role as a mum and as a wife, and then also what my family needs from me. And so the first book I had, I wrote it in three months, and which is an insanely it's, short time. That's what I was going to ask you. I don't know, yeah. I don't know how long it takes to write a book, but that seems quick. It, it was very quick, yeah. but I was just so on fire with the content. I couldn't stop it. It was just this torrential downpour of inspiration. And so I had a baby. I think my daughter was one. And then I had a toddler at home as well. At the same time that you were writing yes. these three months? Yeah. Yes. So it was, it was nuts. Yeah. But I only wrote when they were asleep. So I would put them down to sleep at the same time. And I had two hours. And I didn't care what my house looked like. Sure. And my friends learned they do not knock on my door. In those two hours, I will not answer it. I turned my phone off. That was dedicated writing time. And then I wrote at night. So once the kids went down, seven o'clock, I would ignore my husband, <laughs> poor man, <laughs> and then I would write. And sometimes I literally wrote until three or four in the morning and then got back up at six with my kids. So I was just, I couldn't shake it. Absolutely. It's just this thing that had to come out of yeah. me. Yeah. That three-month period, though, once the book is over, are you, are you exhausted and you're over that and you're ready for some editing or some inspiration or something else? Or is it the thing where you just want to jump in and start the next book and start another three-month period? No, definitely you can't do that. Okay. Some people probably can, right. but my books are highly emotional. And so I go on this massive emotional journey with my characters. So by the time I put, from a work technical point of view, that book needs to go away for at least six weeks. Um, and that's pretty widely accepted that that is a part of the process yep. because it separates you from being the writer 
to being a reader. Yeah, when you say it goes away for six weeks, as in it gets parked for six weeks, yeah, did he come back to in it? A or was it, was it with someone else? Oh, no, right, it goes right. in a drawer for six weeks. Right. And I'm not allowed to look at it or think about it. And every now and then I get tempted and my husband's like, leave it alone. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just really to have that separation so that you can read it and see the gaps in the story. Because as an author, I still carry all the information. So I'll read something, but I, because I know the information, I don't see the l- lack of it in the book. That. I get that totally. Yeah. yeah. How great is your husband? supporting yes. you. Hey, how cool is He's that? Amazing. It's awesome to have someone like that yeah. who can help you through this. Yeah, yeah. Take care of the kids. Scream at you when you're trying to read your book too early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he does. I th- one th- The biggest thing that he does is he really steps up his game. I mean, he's amazing anyway, but when I'm editing, when I'm on deadline, I have to get that book out or edited in two weeks to get it back to another person. Mm-hmm. So he gets home from work. He does massive hours at work, gets home and takes over with the kids. Wow. So I have dinner ready. They may have eaten it. They may not have eaten it. And I shut myself in the office and then he doesn't see me until the next morning. And sometimes I'm up early writing again or editing. So when I've got a deadline like that, he just, he totally empowers me to be in that season, which is amazing because a lot of People, creatives, or otherwise, don't have they that don't support. Have that. I do observe yeah. that a lot, actually. Yeah. yeah, and I really feel for those who don't, who haven't found someone, or just don't have that support. Yeah, such a key thing. It's huge. So you've got the process of writing, of then parking it away, and then you've yeah. got the process where you come back to it, and effectively that's editing, right? Yes. Is it review yeah. slash editing? Editing. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hey, crazy. Now that I've given us some space and some time. Yeah. And you, is that is that as crazy as the initial writing of the book? I think it's crazier. Crazier, right. Because, because I work, when I'm writing, I'm, I completely immerse myself in that world. So for me, it's much more natural. And as a creative, that's what you want to be doing. Yeah. You don't want to be, I mean, you'd know the same with photography. You don't want to be sitting in the editing suite for hours. You want to be doing the creative stuff. And so that's where my heart is. So then to spend three months ripping something apart. And then doing detailed stuff like grammar and commas, which are the bane of my existence. Spending all that time, it just kills me. So speaking of that, is that something that can be outsourced or done by someone else? Yes, but there's conceptual edits that need to be your voice. Yeah. So you you can give it to someone to do, but they'll butcher your vision because it's not their story. So you've got to be very careful who you allow, at that point especially, who you allow to have any kind of say into your work. There is the next stage, though, where yes. like a proofreader or someone can come in Absolutely. And, and look at it at a more yeah. technical level. And you need that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so that's once... I mean, I tend to do... I actually wrote three books before I edited one. Oh, right. Just because I had yes. that inspiration. Wow. They just it kept coming, so I just stayed in the flow. Yep, presumably the number two and three didn't... Were as quick as three months, or were they pretty quick as well? Uh, one took five months because I had the school holidays, the six yeah. weeks, so that kind of <laughs> slowed me down. And then it takes, after such a big break, it takes me a while to get back into that creative yeah. world. Um, it's quite a push to do it. So one of the really, really interesting things you were telling me about on the drive here was your three or four days yes. of escape. Yes. Right? Tell us yeah. about that. Uh, I re- it was book two, I think, was when that kicked in. So I found out a friend of mine had a caravan and I just desperately needed some time out because I just, once I got into the the writing, I only had a few hours before I had to pick kids up. And so every time I got pulled out of it, I had to re-inspire myself and yeah, dive back in. It's tough. It is hard. And yeah. so I just had this, I, and I've 
it's happened more and more as I've continued writing. As I get to about the 10, 15,000 word mark on a manuscript, I start to get this traffic jam of words in my head because by then you've got to know your characters and um, you've really started to build that world and so you know what's coming. And I, it's like, for me, it's like a movie is playing in my head so I can hear the conversations, I can see what's happening. So if I can't really invest time to get that out of me, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. So I literally, I rang my friend and I said, can I go to your caravan for a few days? And she was all for it. And right. my, my village, my women, my other mamas that helped me raise my kids, they were all on board to help with the kids. And my husband was on board. And so I just, I do it two or th- well, two, probably two to three times per book. And I just go into that caravan and I have food there. I barely stop to eat. I, I don't eat much. It's my formula is starvation, caffeination, and nobody just isolation. Yeah, my, isolation. Oh, right? I just I'm in the caravan by myself, person, just yeah, writing, just writing. So I can write ten to twelve hours a day without stopping, and in those three days, I'll get twenty to thirty thousand words done. But this comes at a very at a very important time in your journey through the book, right? Like you, yes. you probably couldn't just cruise up to that caravan tomorrow, no, and and find that inspiration, and start writing. You, no, I have to already be pretty involved in yeah. the book for me. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone's got a different creative Absolutely. outwork. Absolutely. But, but we're here talking yeah. about you today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So about ten, fifteen thousand words is where I seem to hit that kind yeah. of traffic jam. And then I get it again probably around the fifty five, sixty thousand mark because you're getting to the finishing maybe even more than that. Are you, and you are you writing the book relatively linearly? i.e. from A to Z? You're not jumping back and forth and filling in bits here and there? I think it depends on the story. The first book, I was learning. I had no idea what I was doing. So the first chapter that I wrote ended up being the final chapter. I had no idea when Uh I wrote it. I had no idea. Um, And then after that, I wrote the 20 chapters before that. So I wrote the end of the book. Right. Which is weird. Well, I recognise it's, it's weird. Actually, <laughs> okay. But but I read the book. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well know. that that was just that was where my heart was at the time yeah. and um and it was that part of the book was based in Argentina, which is like my second home. Yep. So I, I was very familiar with the content. And then because that book the a, a fair bit of the book, the character is travelling, so I was able to chunk it out. Yes. I was able to just research Germany and write the Germany chapters and then research Greece and write, because I've not never been to those places. Yep. So I had to do a heck load of research. So that's kind of how I did it. I just yep. selected a place, did all the research, and then it all I made it work all together and spent that time building all the connections and sure. making sure her emotional journey fitted because I wrote yep. it out of order. So making sure that still made sense. Yep. But the other two books I've written in order. Actually, the fact you've written them in order mm-hmm. almost impresses or confuses me more. Because, as I say, I've never written a book, but I've, I've given um, a number of presentations over the years. And a presentation to me is it's a story, right? Yeah. And I've got a start and an end, or I've got a bit of a narrative I'm trying to follow. And I often write bits in the middle and then try to figure out how to join the dots. Yeah. I remember listening to a podcast about behind the scenes of Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. one of my favourite TV shows, yeah. and they filmed one of the scenes for one of the last episodes right near the start of the whole series. Yeah. Start of the whole season. It's and hard. then they had to basically figure out later on how yeah. it all kind of joins together and how it all makes yeah. sense, which is kind of what I thought was normal. So I'm actually yeah. amazed that you can even just write straight through. Yeah, I think it just... It, I I am really authentic in my process. I just follow where... 
my heart leads me and where the characters are leading me. So every now and then I'll hit a roadblock. So I think in book two I hit a roadblock where they were dealing with addiction stuff. And because I've I've not had issues with addiction, and so I had to do a lot of research. And, and I wasn't in a time where I really felt led to do a lot of oh, research. Yeah, and so I just skipped yep. that whole segment of gotcha. the book and I moved on to another yep. area that I felt I could pour myself into. And behind the season, scenes in my non-writing time, I did the research and then I was able to do that part. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. So your books. Yes. We've talked about the fact you've got eight of them in the pipeline, right? A collection yep. of eight books. Yes. They are truth wrapped in fiction? Yes. Is that how you describe that's, them? Yeah. Yep. That's how I talk about them purely because I used the word authentic before. They are someone's real life. You know, it's not like the character is a perfect representation of someone. But there are people who will read my book and feel like it was written for them. And I've had that response already. You know, like, the it's it's restorative fiction. It's it's There's a point to it. My heart is that people's lives will be transformed or improved by reading these books. That It's not just escapism. It's a way, one of my reviewers said, this book will undo you. It undo will you. break you down and then build you back up. And I guess that's the heart behind it is there are, we, I was saying before, we, we carry so much, you know, from our past experiences and from negative thoughts that we've engaged with or things that have been spoken over us. And we carry it as a part of us. And um, it impacts every decision that we make and the way we see the world and the way that we interact with our loved ones. It, 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 it taints everything. And so to be able to strip that back in a way that is really authentic and honest and raw and say, I see you. I see that thought. You're not alone. You're heard. But just watch this. See what happens. And to be able to build a really raw, real character profile that can speak to readers. Because I think the thing for me, I've worked, my husband and I have mentored um, couples and marriages and, and parents and stuff for years now and just with our local church just being involved with people that are going through some real massive challenges and being able to see the impact of of their silence because we're so afraid to admit that stuff's going on yeah. and we're afa- afraid to admit that you know we've been abused or we deal we are working through addiction or struggling with things and we don't often allow uh, people into that dark place whereas a book has the power to go there and I think a book can say things that another person can't uh-huh. because it's not um, it's not offensive it's not you don't feel like that person's preaching at you or that they couldn't possibly understand what you're experiencing. You know, my heart is that someone would take one of my books and hand it to someone they know that's struggling and just say, hey, if you feel like it, just give this a read. read this. And they take it into their quiet place and yeah. it can speak to them in that way. Is it right for me to say that the, that these books are therapy? You're, you're, you're a therapist in some way here? I'd never claim to be that. Sure. But I would hope that it would function in a similar way that it would speak they speak life mm. they speak life into broken places they that's the heart of it is that 
you know, the the thing that people need to hear is that they're seen. So speaking of life, the restoration of life is yeah. how you describe the books. Yeah. What topics are we talking about here? Yeah, so book one uh, delves into the truth of grief, really, the the brokenness and the loneliness of grief. So my, my main character in chapter one, you find out that she's lost her husband and children in a car accident. So she's right. gone from having this perfect life with this incredible marriage and amazing kids to having nothing, to her whole life being completely ripped to shreds. And how do you get out of that? You know, you can you can fall into a pit of despair, which is a natural response, or you need to learn somehow at some time to realise the beauty that still remains in your life. It's called Out of the Ashes. Out of the Ashes, yeah. And I just kept getting this picture of after a, a fire, because that's what it feels like when your life is burned down around you. After a fire, there's this incredible process that happens where the new buds come up out of the blackness, out of the ashes, and it's beautiful. And they're full of vibrancy and colour. And it's hard to see that when you're surrounded by ash. But there is always something beautiful that remains. And, you know, for my heart is that people that are grieving find a way to live the life that's left and honour who they've lost by living. Yeah. To me, all creative work has quite a personal element to it. Everything that we put out there as creatives it comes from within somewhere. Yeah. This book one or and or subsequent books, yeah. are they they come from your heart. Are they, are they based on your experiences, what you've gone through in life, places you've been? Or things you've seen? Yeah, some. I think there's there's always going to be a piece of me. I think there's a piece of every novelist in every book they write. Yeah. But um, these topics are incredibly personal to me, especially grief. Grief is something that I've been intimately familiar with most of my life. So, um, you know, just lost my best friend at 16 to a drunk driver and um, another friend dropped dead at 19. And um, just I've had... I've had major losses throughout my life. So it's something that I've experienced. But I've also, I've been blessed enough to be raised with a faith, with my Christianity, which has allowed me to grieve but still believe in hope and and be able to step back into my life with purpose. Whereas I see people just time and time again are so um, just consumed by their grief that they can't live and it's like that life has been taken alongside the person they lost and it's devastating to me I think because I've been able to overcome and it's still horrific absolutely yeah it's still horrific even when you are able to process out of it but it's I think it's it is more it's more of a tragedy when they take a living life down with them yeah it's devastating so some some people might write or might create to get things out of their system. Yeah. In some ways, what you're doing is to try to help others, right? Yeah. Have I got that right? Yes, absolutely. I have a heart to help people. I think I've always had that. And and some people will just read the book and enjoy it and not have that response. Yeah. But other people, uh, I wrote, I wrote the book for people that are hurting. Yeah. Or people that are trying to love people through a hard season. 
Because sometimes it's really hard mm-hmm. <laughs> to love a broken person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about grief with the other themes in the other books as well. Yeah, so you were telling yeah. me a really touching story about yeah. book number two and yeah. about someone who helped you with that book yeah. who then you ultimately helped. Yeah. Are you, are you willing to share that prior yeah. to the launch? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Beautiful Fragments deals with some major, major heavy, heavy blow themes. Uh, so it, it deals with sexual abuse, it deals with prostitution, um, single parenting and the, and the hard decisions that come with that, uh, and addiction. And, you know, it's it's the sex industry, so it's not pretty. And yeah. there are scenes in the book that are not pretty because to be authentic and to be able to speak to people who have lived that, I had to be real about it. Um, and so, you know, I haven't experienced any of those things. And so I put it out on Facebook, actually, when I knew I was going to write this book. I knew what the themes were. And I just said to people, you know, I would love to hear from anybody that has experienced any of these things or been a support person for people that have. Um, I just would love to hear your story if you're willing to share it with me with zero judgment. This is not about me, you know, just wanting to know things about your life. It's about me wanting to build an authentic story and character. And some brave souls came. Back. Yeah, I had some so amazing women have gone through this, right? Yeah, but, it's but huge. For someone to actually step up and be prepared to share it. Is yeah, a and I story. think that's part of the reason I wanted to write it is because in New Zealand it is it is so much of a bigger issue than we think, mm-hmm. and sex trafficking actually is present and has quite a big presence in New Zealand. And people don't know that. You wouldn't know, would you? No. And the whole thing about prostitution, yes, there are people that choose it, but there are also people who are boyfriended, young girls who are boyfriended into it, and then just can't get out. It's horrific. And it happens here. And so to be able to write a book that speaks to those women, and young women before that, before they get to that point, when they're at high school and they're being faced with decisions, to be able to read a book like this and go, Oh, so that's what that can lead to. Oh, that's what he's doing. You know, to be able to identify things that are happening. Um, but anyway, I I put that call out and there were a few women that came back and shared their story, which was amazing. And it just helped me. I'd already written most of the character's journey. So I wasn't using their stories to inspire what happens in the book, but just to build that authenticity into the character. Of course. Uh, and one woman in particular, uh, we spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards, and she ended up being my main case study, but also my first reader. And when I sent her the book, it was just this powerful uh, relationship that we built. But I think after chapter one, she sent me a message and just said, how did you know that? Like, how did you know that those were the exact words that I called out? And she'd never told me. Wow. And I think that is the beauty of being able to go to that quiet place and being being real and just honouring whatever comes out and honouring that character and building the truth around them is that you can speak to that. And then she ended up going back to her psychologist and, and working through the things that the book was bringing up with them. And it was just, she wrote to me afterwards and just said that reading my book in its raw, unedited state helped her heal after, you know, 30, 40 years of trauma. It's therapy. It's amazing. It's really helped her. And that's the heart of what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I think. That's what it sounds like to me as well. And so there's one person who you've really touched, you've really helped with this book. Yeah. There'll be plenty more. Yeah, and you don't always hear about them. You sure. know, people will keep it private, and I'm fine with that. You know, it's this isn't about 
while making enough money to continue doing what I love would be awesome, that's not at all what I'm about. I mean, I'd love to be able to provide for my family doing this, but if I can be providing that to people who cannot get it in another way because mm-hmm. they're not able to listen often, yep. um, then that, that's it for me. If I can continue to write books that are speaking into that stuff, I, I would be incredibly proud. Yeah, and happy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. so, so we have we have a published book. Yes. We have a second one that is due in October, yes. I believe, this year. Yes. Another one early next year. Yeah, I'm going to push that out, I've decided. Okay. Yeah, yep. so I'm going to you be mid that. to late next year. Yeah. yeah. And another five to follow in this yeah. collection. Yeah. Hey there. Just a reminder, you're listening to Breaking Out the Podcast. This is episode 16 with Vanessa Everts, author, writer. This is just a mid-episode break. I got thrown a little bit by some of her responses and we just had a little casual off-the-record chat before we jump back into the next thing, which is talking about her writer's group. So here we go. Get back into it. Writer's Life Group is a group that you're uh, yeah, responsible our, our for. Yeah, our writer's you're, group. You're, you're key part yeah, of. I yeah, co-lead I co-lead it. Yep. Which, so I, I, talk, I do the teaching part of it. It's a collection of writers of all genres, of all types. Some just write for themselves. Others are lyrical writers or poetry. Others do fiction, non-fiction. There's probably about eight of us that have released in the last... 18 months, so we've been going for about six years. And the idea of the group is essentially to support? Encourage, empower. Yep. Um, we talk details, but just the heart. It's actually a Christian group. It's mm-hmm. come out of our church. So we pray and we empower people in that way. And um, it's just getting people to step into their passions and into their purpose and feel like, because writing such a massive personal thing, yeah. and it's so easy to feel or have that doubt and who am I to say this who's going to really want to listen to what I have to say or um, am I doing this right is there a structure I need to follow but the heart of writing is it's getting what is in you out that's the first step and then you edit later so I, I call it the monkey mind and the editor and um, it's getting people to trust that and be okay with having a unique voice and not trying to sound like someone else and then comparing themselves to someone else and then failing because that's not their sound. And just a, yeah, just having that confidence to honour their creativity and, and their experience and pour it out on the page. So, yeah, that's what, what we do. What you're saying there is applicable to not just writing, right? That's it's right. applicable to any art form or any it creative is. outlet, really. I mean, I listened yeah. to what you were saying I thought, oh, that's how I feel as a photographer. <laughs> well, that's how I feel as a broadcaster or whatever it is Absolutely. I'm doing now. How many, you said that group have hung together for six or so years. Mm. They don't tend to find a spot where they're comfortable with things and then move on and say, hey, I don't need you anymore? No. No. It's just, it's my favourite time of the month, of the year. You know, the, the our times in Writer's Life group, everybody comes so hungry for what right. we're doing. And to see what has been birthed out of that group is quite incredible because the first four years it was really just a growing and learning. Right. You were all at a very similar stage, were you? No. You? No, oh, right. No, we were all really different. Right. And some, there's still some people there who haven't had the confidence yet to put anything on the page, but they come to the group because they've got this burning desire to engage in words in some way, but they don't know how, they haven't found their voice yet. But they still want to be in that room because it's so full of creativity and um, people are following after that and, um, it, you know, just living in their calling. And it's it's a beautiful place to be. We're just 
and we inspire each other and they come out of there going, okay, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And they still might not by the next month, but it's still feeding that hunger. So I think one of the big differences between, say, writing and some other creative outlets is that you really are on your own a hell of a Absolutely. lot more than it would be if you were, say, a musician or yeah. a, even a photographer. At least that's what it feels like. So yeah. I can understand the power of actually just coming together, yes. having someone else around you to yeah. just share your story. Yeah, and we do, on occasion, we get together with different, you know, you build relationships with different people based on who you are and what you're writing. And so we will, every now and then, come and sit in a lounge room together and we work separately together. So we had food on the table. Oh, right. We all have our headphones on or however we work. Yeah, laptops on or yeah. paper on your lap or whatever yeah. it is. And we just write and then every half hour or so we have a break and a chat and laugh and yeah. then get back into our world. Do you like that or, or do you actually quite like being on your own when you're writing? I like both, uh-huh. but I am I literally dive into another world when I'm writing. So I warn people if I'm going to go on retreat with them, I'm, I will not talk to you. I will ignore you. Do not take offence. When I am writing, I am writing. I will not laugh. <laughs> yeah. This is this is me. I have half hour time sessions, and I am really strict on them. And then in the five minute break I get, I'll engage with you. Uh-huh. And as soon as those headphones go back on, do not talk to me. How does that work with you being at home with a family around? Well, does it work? The my same children can hate it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I'm very structured in that I have learned that to be a good mother, I can't write in the holidays, which is really sad because the, the writing, it's sad and good, but the writing fulfills me. And so when I go the Christmas holidays, for example, that's six weeks where I can't do what I love. And so I, by the end of the six weeks, I am frustrated Mm. and really struggling and so I do I've got some amazing friends we call each other the village so uh, they will they recognize it in me which is really amazing and they'll just say hey the kids can come for a play date you can spend some time writing and it doesn't even need to be in my work in progress it can just be any kind of writing just just giving myself that time to just be me and because I feel fulfilled when I'm doing it so it's hard during that break but when I was, I think I did it the first book, I tried to write in the holidays. And I was so grumpy at the kids for interrupting me, yep. which there. is so unfair. Yep. And it's not good parenting, but I just couldn't get around it. And so it was after that where I realized none of us are happy. This is not how we can function as a family. And I put that kind of rule in place that in the holidays, I can read a lot. I can maybe do some editing depending on where I'm at, but absolutely no writing. And presumably that rule of the holidays also applies to, say, weekends or evenings or afternoons when the kids are around, yes. basically. Is that what it is? If yeah. the kids are home... I'm engaged. You're engaged with the kids. I try to be writing. engaged. Yeah, 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 try. <laughs> it's yeah. hard, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, imperfect parenting. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Let's bring it back around now to the real life mm-hmm. of writing and, and publishing a book. How are you publishing these books? Are they self-published or have you yes. got a, They're self-published? Yeah, it was a huge decision, actually. Because in my head, I always, and I wasn't judging anyone else on the standard, but for me, I always saw self-publishing as a failure. Right. Because no one wanted to buy my book. You know, like a publishing house uh-huh. didn't want to buy my book, so therefore I've failed and I'll just put it out myself because, you know, no one wanted it. So in my head, even though I didn't believe that for other people, in my head that's what the situation was. But... Well, Writer's Life Group, um, we had this speaker come who had been in the publishing industry for 17 years, and he was one of the key acquisitions officers internationally. And he 
spoke a bit and then and I, so I still had this thing in my head no I'm not going to self publish no way I'm not going to do it and then he just said okay so just ask me what do you want to ask me and so I'm sitting there thinking oh no like I have a million questions how the heck do I do this and so I said how do we as debut authors with l- limited profile get our books into the hands of publishers to be read and he said well it's next to impossible. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, thanks. That's right. wonderful. And so a part of me was like, well, that sucks. Yeah. And the reason is it's shrinking. The traditional publish, traditional publishing method, it's changed so much. And, I mean, they've got to sell books. Yeah. And if books aren't selling, they've got to sell books they can sell. Yeah. And they can sell books from people that have high profiles because people buy them because they like the person, yeah. not necessarily because they're a good writer. Not necessarily good content, yeah, of course. Yeah, or, you know, Stephen King and those people who have proven their skill and they've proven that over so many years, well, their books are going to sell just because. Yep. And so they invest in, in those writers. And that's not to say that debut authors can't go that way. They absolutely can. And, and, um, and he said, if you've got this idea that's so wild that they can't pass it up, well, then they'll do it. But his advice was just go on your own. Did you try the publisher route? I sent it years before I went through the whole editing process. I did actually send it to a couple of people and I got great feedback, but it didn't fit into what they were looking for. And I think that's one of the big problems, especially in New Zealand, is the market's so small. They're very specific. And um, that's not to say that your book is to that standard yet, or, and it's not to say that it's not. You don't really know. Often yeah. you don't actually get feedback. I was really lucky that I got yeah, some right, great feedback great. back. But the thing is, right, it's 2018 now, and self-publishing, it's a thing. It is. It's huge. It, eh? It's huge. Yeah. And the other thing is, financially, unless you make it big with a traditional publisher, your cut is so tiny, <laughs> you're lucky if you get 10 to 12%. Right. So while they, they take on all the costs, which is great, Um, Because it's not cheap to self-publish, but you also hardly get any back. Yeah. So if you if you do really well, and they've got a big reach, so you know distribution helps a lot. If you're in two hundred bookstores, you're going to do better than just in one. But I just felt coming out of that meeting, I felt a piece about doing it, and that. Yeah, and just talking to a, a few other people, I spoke to other authors who had done both, and quite a few of them who'd gone down the traditional route had actually moved to self-publishing right. because they had more control. Right. And because of the type of books I write, and I'm so passionate about the content, and I'm passionate about that raw journey that they're undertaking, they don't necessarily fit into a genre, which is a problem for traditional publishers. Right. And also having... Specifically for you. Exactly. And the story. other issue is having someone else control the final edit. And I kind of got to a point where I'm like, you know what, these are too important for me to put that power into someone else's hands. And so I just decided with their advice, he said, do everything professionally as you would under a traditional publisher. Get professional editors, get professional designers. And so I have. I've invested in all the professionals at all the different stages um, and then produced products I can be proud of. How are you then selling, marketing and selling your book. Is that the next challenge? It's hard. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So the first step is the launch because, I mean, as a nobody in the publishing industry, I didn't have a name. 
And so you're relying on your own contacts. But my sister, Heidi Farrelly, um, she she had released two books already. So she'd gone through this process on Amazon because Amazon's all about algorithms. So if you don't know how to work the system, if you don't know how to do it well, you'll be left at the bottom ah, right. of the so heap. It's as simple as just listing it on it, there It's not at it all because it's all about ranking. So it's right. all about downloads and reviews and there's certain algorithms that determine whether you're successful or not. And so she taught me how to go through that process. Wow. And right. so I followed her steps yep. and it was incredible. It worked well for you? The launch was amazing. Right. So it was over, I think it was over 5,000 downloads in two days internationally. Wow. On, that was the ebook. Five thousand sounds like a lot to me. They're free, so yep. don't get too excited. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. okay. yeah. So the marketing phase is it's all free. You're yep. giving your book away for free. So oh, a right. book that I've worked on for three years, yep. I'm giving it away for free. Um, but oh, the, did that sit well I was, easily with you, or you're okay with it by the end? I think both things. I think <laughs> your heart is like no, <laughs> but I wouldn't ever have access to that audience. I know. Without it, your book got in front of. 5,000 plus people. And internationally. Amazing. I mean, my audience in New Zealand is tiny. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden I was using specific promotions with specific co- companies that she actually told me. She told I was so blessed to have her because she really pointed me in the right direction. And so, you know, my book was being emailed to 180,000 people who had said they want that specific book emailed to them. And so all of a sudden it just went crazy. Oh, right. Yeah, which was amazing. So, so it, it reached... Far more than those 5,000 downloads. Yeah, well, I mean, it was in the inboxes of that many people. People don't always open their emails, but 5,000 people clicked on it and ordered it. Uh, So, And I'm getting reviews back from the States from people who have heard from other people in the States that they needed to read my book. So doing it that way is the way to be successful. Speaking of reviews, I did see your Amazon page, and you've got some really good reviews on there. I know. They're amazing. Yeah, I definitely read cool. them. Yeah. I don't read. I haven't had any negative ones yet. No, I was thank amazed. goodness. It's amazing. The reviews look yeah. fantastic. They sound fantastic. Yeah, yeah. but you're always going to get some. You're always going to get negative reviews yeah. too, and I'm not worried about it because I think, as I said before, if I get a negative review, a it grows you as an author. If it if it's real, if it's just a, someone being a dork, then it doesn't grow you. But if if it's a genuine review, it grows you as an author and as a person. What but Yeah, it is. And also, if they hated it, then I didn't write it for them. And that's fine. And you didn't write it. They didn't have to love it. No. Uh, Especially book two. I think book two, because it's so heavy hitting, it's going to scare some people. Um, But again, I didn't write it for them. I wrote it for people who are trying to love people through that season in their life and people who are trying to get out of it. So that's fine. I'm okay if they hate it. Yeah, like yeah, art. Yeah. It's like any kind That's of art. Exactly right. Walk into a gal- gallery and say, really? Really? Mm-hmm. My art? two-year-old could do that. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. But yeah, there'll be something else hanging on your wall at home that you exactly. utterly love. Right? That just captures you and grabs you. That's exactly so, right. Yeah. Some people will be like that for these books. Yes. I think it's so important here that you're writing a collection of yeah. books as well. Yeah. Like you're building a body of work. Yeah. And you're only a small way through that I journey. Know. I There's know. so much more to come. Yeah. It's exciting. So... Should we then have a little a little conversation about um, selling books and supporting your family? Because you said before yes. that you'd love to be in a position where yeah. this does support your family. Yes. Um, but you're obviously not there yet. No. <laughs> no. I couldn't buy groceries. No. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. Yeah. But yeah. that doesn't stop you from waking up in the morning, going to your happy place and writing. Yeah. Okay. I think like any investment, 
this I'm in a season of invest, investment into this part of my life. Cool way to think about it. Yeah. yeah, any kind of business, there's a season of investment. You can't expect to be the Stephen King or the the J.K. Rowling overnight. They weren't overnight. Overnight successes are based on decades of work. Like, that's just the reality. It It looks like it, but it's not. I agree. And so, yeah, this is just, and I'm really blessed that my husband is on board with this because I'm I'm spending money to get these books out and I'm not making it. Uh And, but this is a season of investment. So there will come a time where I've got more of the work out and, you know, there's a knock-on effect. So people might get one book for free and then they go buy the other two. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to see the fruits of your labor a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it cost me about five and a half to six grand to get book one out. Wow. So that's paying professionals to do what, what they needed to do. And I did a lot of the work myself, but that's, you know, the design for the cover, Still the artist, the, the editing, all yep. of promotions, all of that stuff, yep. which is ongoing, the yep. promotions really. Um, and I've made, I think I've made nearly two grand back yep. from paperback sales. Yep. So you make very little on... Amazon, very little. But Is that right? It's yeah. better than the 10 or 12% that the publishing route might give you? Oh, definitely. But it's still Well, great. it's just, I mean, you can make a lot more if yep. you're on top of your, I've been, because I've been editing book two. I have been ignoring book one a little bit, which is not oh, ideal. How hard is this though? It's right? really hard to balance uh, it. To balance the fact that you just, some days you just want to write. Every day. Four, every day you want to write. <laughs> yes. Then you've got that terrible, crazy time yeah. when you've got to edit that you don't really yeah. do, but you know, and no. then somehow you've got to fit in marketing and yeah. sales. It's so hard. You've really got to be very routined and scheduled about it. And I, I'm still learning in that regard. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not a marketing professional. I've got some amazing people that I can feed off. Like they, they teach me, um, but it's still, it's still not my passion project, but it, it's an, it's a necessary evil. I need to learn how to be really effective at it so that my books have more impact because mm-hmm. unless they're being read, they're not helping anybody. So Absolutely. that's, you know, I do need to be better at that. I was great at the launch that kind of first few weeks. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I was really on top of it. Yeah. And then I got busy with the other books. Yeah, I can understand that. You're yeah. going to put the same level of energy into Absolutely. two and three and four. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've learned the process now. So, And also, um, I hit the crazy thing is, and it is completely insane, and I think it's so insane that I struggled to grasp it, but I hit, on Amazon, I hit international bestseller within two weeks. Right. Which is nuts. It's all about the algorithms. Yeah. <laughs> it's well really, I know, it sounds really amazing, but I think because it was so fast... I hadn't got my head around it. And so officially I can say that. I can say that I was an international bestseller, but because it doesn't reflect money and it doesn't reflect, you know, two years of work in the selling part of it, it freaked me out. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't do anything with it. Or I didn't. It. I'm like, I can't it. say that. Yeah. Like I actually, even yeah. though it is factually true, yeah. I struggled to put to claim it. Totally. Um, so I think if it happens again, it will happen yeah. again with book two. Um, I'm going to step in and say, you know what? Yes. Yes. I hear this advice, similar advice all the time where people say, uh, where the right sort of people say, you've got to blow your own trumpet. Yeah. You've got to pump yourself up a little bit. Yeah. You've got to not be shy. Us Kiwis are a little shy to, yeah. to brag. But it's hard. We need to do it. Yeah. Well, my, something awesome like that happens. I know. My sister had it, it was two years because so, she was learning as she went, whereas she taught me how to do it. So it was a bit, bit different. So she had it in two years. So she hit it in the US quite quickly, wow. the bestseller. And then she hit um, Oz. She lives in Australia. So she hit Oz and the media went nuts. 
Right. So she As a, did she did she activate like did she get the media involved? I think she's got a friend. She had built a relationship with Channel Seven. Channel Seven, one of them. Um, she'd built a relationship with them because one of her friends works there, and so they'd they'd been building that for a few years, and she'd been an expert in a few of their shows, and and so they caught wind of it probably through connections. Connections are powerful, uh, and honestly, she was on the radio. She was on Channel on. Um, the current affairs shows, I can't remember what they're called, and brought her in as it because she writes about finance. So it just went crazy. So I saw that, like, oh no, like I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I just did this. This is freaking me out. But but yeah, next time I think I'll be a bit more mature in that kind of world and I'll be okay yeah. with it. And you've got seven more to go, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So is, is there a longer term, uh, obviously seven books, and we're probably talking at maybe, I don't know, another another five years or something here. Have you kind yeah. of planned it out? Have you, have you thought about how long this is going to take and where you want to get to with these books further down the line? Yeah, uh, this this collection I'm planning, because obviously I wrote the three books before I released one, so I'm a bit behind in getting them out. I've got a bit of a backlog. But um, I'm getting, obviously, the next two books out in the next year, and then it's one a year. Right, one a year, that's your goal. Yeah, that's so I'm going to write one a year, and edit and release one a year. And ideally focus on one at a time. See how that goes. Ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't know about you, but those next five books, they must be there must be ideas for those like burning in your brain no. you just need to get them out. How? How do you stop uh, One that at a time. I think when I initially kind of got the download of what these books would be about, it was partway through book one, and I just had this real heart for some of these topics. And it's mainly based around around the things that take you out from your life, take you out, take you out at your knees, the stuff that just breaks you down and just strips you of your ability to cope with life and purpose and all of that stuff. And so I kind of, I wrote down a list of these things and, you know, addiction and, and um, domestic violence and there's, there's all sorts of them, just doubt and insecurity and um, suicidal stuff and there's so much depression and, um, and so I just had... I, I don't know anything about them. I just know right. that those books are going to be about those themes. Right. And it can come out in any way. I don't really know until I sit down with, I was saying before, the way that it works for me is when I'm nearing the end of my current work in progress, I start to get this bubbling up of a new idea yeah. that doesn't fit into what I'm writing. And I don't necessarily realize that straight away, or I didn't with the first book. And... I kind of let it, I just let it fester for a little while, which sounds really bad. Um, I get it. Until it kind of is exploding. And then I just open a new page. I ignore what I'm currently writing and I just pour this thing onto the page. Did it feel like that was needed to be part of book one you were writing? Well, I didn't know the first time yeah. it happened. Yeah. I'm like, there is this woman and she's really, really in despair mode. Like, she is bad. And there's a nightclub. And I couldn't, for the life of me, work out how I was going to fit this woman in the nightclub into my first yeah. book. So you like, this that. makes no sense. Park that. Yeah, clean piece of paper. Yeah, and I just poured it out. Yeah. And the first thing that the first word was a name, and she wasn't in my work that oh. I've been writing. Oh. I'm like, okay, this is now this is book. a new book. Right. Yeah, and so I just wrote. I spe- I wrote two, three thousand words, and then it was gone. Yeah. So it was out of my head. It stopped harassing me. I put it to the side and finished book one. Right. And then when I stepped back into writing, so it was probably a month after I finished book one, 
I pulled this out again and I already had the emotion attached to it because that emotion had been building up. That's what I get first. I get a name, an emotion and a setting. So is it fair to say you've got that now for, say, book four? I've already started writing book four yep. secretly. Okay, okay. Don't tell anybody. Okay, sorry. No. <laughs> Especially my husband. Um, yeah, he so uh, it was, I was really busy editing book one and it was doing my head in because it was my new, it was a, the first experience and it was really intense and I just, it was this massive learning curve and I just was so over it. And so I ended up, I had the stuff. I had the scene, I knew it was there, and I just gave into it. And so I just sat outside on my deck with this amazing view and just wrote pages and pages. I always write the first three or four chapters on refill, just in pen. Oh, analog, eh? Yeah, I don't know why. I just paper. always do. The yep. first three or four chapters is always written by hand. Yep. And uh, I did that, and then I typed it into my iPad because I write on my iPad right. with a keyboard, not yep. on that crazy keyboard. Yeah, not on the screen. 50,000 words on no, the screen. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Well, the books are well, 80 to 106,000 right. words, Double so a lot. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then every now and then I'd sneak into my office and I'd just I'd write some more. I'd be sitting, I've always got notebooks with me, so I'd be sitting in the car and I'd just write pages and pages of a new scene that was coming to me. So I was doing that while I was editing, which was naughty. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be doing that because it pulls you out of the voice of the character you're working in. Okay, so you yeah. are going to try to avoid that. I do try to ignore yeah. it. It's nice to know, though, that even though even though you have this idea for how you should be writing these books, yeah. that even you're prepared to break them every now and then. Yeah, well, you just have to. You yeah, can't. You can't stop it. Completely. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I ignore it for as long as I can, and then it just explodes on me. Yeah, fantastic. in a good way. All right. Well, I'm going to say thanks, Vanessa. Really, really appreciate your time. Thanks for chatting to me today. My pleasure. As I wrap this up, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, though. I've just got an assortment of questions that I ask every guest here in the combi. Yes. Um, so I often ask people about whether they've got a book in them, but clearly you've got a Quite number of those. Quite a few. And we've talked about that for the last 40 <laughs> yeah. minutes. Yes. Um, how about this? How about a desert island disc or an Otaki caravan disc? Yes. You're in Otaki. Yeah. You've got one album that you can allow yourself to listen to. Oh, my goodness during those four days what's it going to be it would be Hillsong United Hillsong United yep whatever whatever they release yep so I listen to Spotify Uh so I generally if I hear a great song I just flick it into the album and then when I'm writing I I listen it's mainly because it drives emotion because the stuff I write is really heavy um, I need something that drives emotion and Uh. and I respond to that it, it pulls me out of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that, and is that, that's because I asked, I set you in a scene where you were writing, whereas if yeah. I said to you, it was, if, if it was actually a Desert Island disc, I, I want yeah, a Desert be Island different. Relaxing, different Totally music, different. Right? That would be party salsa, <laughs> Cuban salsa, yeah, okay, if I was on a desert island. Right. Quite different. I would Very never different. write to Cuban salsa. Have you tried? <laughs> what, what comes out when you do oh, that? Do you know what's funny? I just want to throw it against the wall. So if I, I'm very specific with what I'm listening to when I'm writing and it has to suit the scene. So I have yeah. different music that I, I listen to that. based yeah. on whatever I'm writing. And every now and then I'll try something new and it just, the anger. I'm like, <laughs> oh! So I literally want to fling my headphones against the wall. Uh, so some people write, the first book I wrote in silence and then the other two I wrote with music. Yeah. And one of the books I listened to the same song on repeat most of the book. I love that. You know, I've, you're it's not so the first crazy. person who, who said something like that. I think there's power in that. Yeah. Huge yeah. power. There was a song called I Am by Influence Music, and it just captivated me. And you listen to it over and over. Over and over and times. over again. 
It was incredible. Yeah. And I can still listen to it. Normally yeah. you'd get super sick totally, of it. But every time I hear that song, it just fills me with emotion, which helped carry me through oh, that book. How fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And final final question here today. Combi, road trip. Love it. From here to Tahi Bay up to Cape Leanga, north of the North Island. Nice. Alive or dead? Anyone? Hopefully who, alive if you drive driving. you're alive. <laughs> you, can have, <laughs> you can have any passenger beside oh you, goodness. alive or dead. Who would it be? Who would be your road trip companion? Oh, it's so hard. Oh, my goodness. I love people like Mother Teresa, which sounds really cliche, but it's mainly because she lived unapologetically. She was so secure in her vision and her purpose that nothing else mattered. She just she went after she had a heart for people and that was the end of it. She didn't take any crap. She wasn't politically impacted. She just did what she needed to do. And I think sitting next to someone who was so firm in their truth, I think that's really powerful. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. And we're gonna end it there. <laughs> Thank you, Vanessa. You're welcome. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Hey, you're back with me. One of the lessons I've learned recording the previous 15 episodes is that the conversation never really stops when I stop it and I've had some really amazing conversations with some other guests some of them in the combi some of them just standing on the footpath afterwards some of them driving back home and I haven't recorded them and often I like to think they're just the little wee tidbits and nuggets that I get that are the benefit for me going and doing this interview but often I really want to share them with you and this particular time here I was chatting to Vanessa and I left the microphone running and as she said something, I said, hang on, let's pick up those microphones and let's continue this conversation. So there's just another five, six minutes of conversation here about purpose. And I think you needed to hear this. <laughs> I like how confident you are. Yeah, sorry. Um, the whole reason I started writing was the way book one, Out of the Ashes, came about was I was traveling with my husband and we were doing... Uh, we were in London at the time, we'd done South America and we were going to serve in Tanzania and we were staying with some friends and I got woken in the middle of the night and I just heard this voice like it was telling me something and I couldn't shake it and so I got out, I was an avid travel writer so I got out my diary and I just started writing what I could hear and it ended up being the first few chapters of Out of the Ashes. And I had no idea what the heck it was. And I was so filled with emotion because it was this funeral scene. It was like hugely emotional. And I just had no idea where it came from. It literally came through me. And the way I'm like, it was divinely inspired. Like I have no idea. And then I, you know, we traveled and had babies and all sorts of stuff happened in my life. And then I went to Writer's Life Group. I was invited along. And the first session I was inspired to find that book I'm like don't forget grace I'm like oh my goodness so I went hunting for it I typed it up when I got back from traveling and I read it and I was beside myself bawling my eyes out reading this piece and it was because in that eight years I'd lived it not her experience but I'd lived grief and my stepfather passed away when I had my first child and on the same day and, and my best friend had died of cancer and, and so I'd had all this stuff happen that just ripped me apart and then I'm reading this piece that I wrote that delved into that agony in a beautiful way and I couldn't believe that they were my words and so just in that moment I just felt 
that real burden to write that story and I had no idea what it was going to become I thought maybe it was a short story I gave it to a friend a publishing friend and just said what do you think about this like have I got writer I thought I had writer's block like I can't see the future of this I can't see where it's going I don't know what this is she said well as a standalone story it's actually fine as a short story but I just I wasn't sure about it and then I just sat on it and then some stuff in life happened and I ended up having surgery and there were some complications and I ended up on bed rest for seven weeks. So here's a busy mum with three children, including a baby, and I've just been completely removed from my life. I couldn't do anything. I could barely walk. I wasn't allowed further than my toilet. Like, that, that was it. And I had this real sense of you can waste this feeling bad for yourself or you can use it. Because what? when does a busy mum or a busy at-home parent ever have time to invest in their passions like that? And so I decided, okay, what do I love doing that I never have time for? Dancing. Well, that, <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Um, so writing. I knew I'd always been passionate about words, always, but I'd put down the pen years and years ago and I'd I'd not picked it up. And so I started writing every day and some days on bed rest I wrote for five hours and I was just writing kids' stories and and I loved them, they're they're hidden away, but when I came out of bed rest, I was sitting the first night I was upstairs for the first time out of my bedroom in seven weeks and I just had this incredible feeling come over me and just it was like the story was deposited in my heart and finally after eight years I knew what the story was and so the next day I started writing and that started the three months and that book was out. Eight years after? I wrote that first few. Oh when you were travelling? Well the, the way I see it is I was being invited into that world invited and like reminded that I loved words reminded that writing was a part of my world but I wasn't ready to write that story because I hadn't lived it yeah and so it was kind of just a let's just table this for eight years and which was quite long and I never thought about it again but just coming back to it and seeing the power I mean I wrote it and the power that it had to impact me it was quite profound so and that's been that journey. The minute I stepped into that, I felt I found it, that thing that I needed to find for purpose in my life, to know what I was created for, I found it. And I've had this immense peace about every minute I spend writing, every process. I'm not stressed out about the marketing side. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I need to do that. And yes, there's a process I need to go through and I need to be strategic about it, but I don't have this heavy burden like it all rests on my shoulders because this is what I'm meant to be doing. So it's quite amazing when you find that. I bet most of us never do. Well, I hope that people do because it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like I can see it in your face. And And it took a number of different you look back on it now and all those dots have connected and they made sense. That's right. But think about what you had to go through. Yeah. You had to have your surgery couple yeah. places and be bedridden. <laughs> exactly. Well, I had ah. to be removed from the busy. Uh-huh. And that's just the way that it needed to happen because happen. of... We can't, we can't get well, out of the busy, can no, we? No, well, but... you know you can. <laughs> yeah. In different ways. Uh-huh. I think we get so caught up in a lack of time that we don't realise the time we have. We do. We're so busy... 
we're not productive in it. Oh, we yeah. waste so much time being stressed out about stuff that doesn't matter. Absolutely. If we were to actually pull back and simplify, we'd be amazed at how much. And I'm preaching to myself. Doing, right? Well, no, but yeah. you're doing this, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, but because I see the power in it, yeah. I see the value in it. This is it, this is what fulfills me now. And so, because of that, because I know it makes me a better mother and a better wife when I'm writing, it makes me a better friend because I'm engaging in what fulfills me. It, I put the effort in. I make it happen. And I think that's the difference is until you get that revelation, you don't make it happen. You're, you're always striving after something, but you don't know what you're striving after. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's to more of us having that revelation Absolutely. and finding our calling. Yeah. Because you seem super happy. I love it. How good. I love it. I'd like to make some money on it one day <laughs> to keep going. Sure. But right but now that's you're all, just That's all that. Journey, hey? Yeah. Love it. Okay, we're definitely going to need it there. We're done. (laughs) Thanks. And we're back. And I promise you this is the last time. I promise you that there's no more interview. So how'd you enjoy that? How was my chat with writer Vanessa Everts? I hope you really, really enjoyed that. As I said, I I loved the interview when I was there, but I loved it even more when I listened back to it again this week. There's an interesting thought there that you can hear, see, learn so many good, useful, interesting, insightful things, but sometimes you just need to hear them at the right time. And that's why there's huge value in going back over things, going back and reading your favorite books again, or going back and listening to things or watching things again, because they might connect with you in a different way. They might mean something different to you at another stage. Sometimes you just need to hear the the thing at the right time. So as usual, I'm going to wrap it up with three things that I thought were really, really important from this interview here. The first one for me was starvation, caffeination, isolation, right? Vanessa's writing periods in that caravan in Otaki. Remember at the start of this episode, I talked about hunkering down for the last three or four months because I really needed to finish my content and build the website and get the platform going. And this was every single day. This was my starvation, caffeination, isolation period. It was a bit longer than Vanessa, right? I did it for three or four months and I had to switch back into family mode every single day. But I was unbelievably focused during this period. I showed up and I got something done day after day, every single day. Now, I know you're a busy person, right? I know you've got a lot going on. You've got this creative outlet you're exploring and you've got a job or or some client work that you've got to get done and you've got family perhaps and you've got friends and you've got exercise and you've got a house to run and you've got other hobbies and interests and things you want to do. And I'm not saying neglect them, especially not too long, but it's amazing how you can shuffle things around and how you can find time to really focus and get the important stuff done. We can't all retreat to a forest cabin or someone's caravan, but we can still find our focus and we can get into deep work. Now, I love the concept of deep work. Have you heard of Cal Newport? He's the author of Deep Work. I haven't quite finished the book, but the concept is about the ability to focus without distraction on a cognitively demanding task. It's a skill that allows you to quickly master complicated information and produce better results in less time. Now, I just ripped that straight off his blurb, but it's basically the superpower of focus in an increasingly distracted world. And it's not necessarily hiding away in a caravan, right? Remember, in her earlier days, Vanessa would still find her two-hour period during the day when her kids slept, and that's when she would write. And then later on at night, when they're in bed, that's when she would write. She's going to write eight books. Most of us can imagine that maybe in our entire lifetime we might somehow figure out and manage how to write one book, maybe. Can you imagine eight? 
I think Vanessa understands deep work. And with three kids at home and with six weeks of school holidays, she's still found the focus, right? She can still go deep. As I talked about right at the start, I also love this concept of a season of investment, right? Any kind of business has this season of investment. Now, don't be afraid to spend a season of investment. Don't be afraid to put in the work. And you need to understand that seeing the fruits of your labor could take time. Vanessa hasn't made any money from these books yet, but she knows that she needs to put in that work, those years worth of effort to actually see the success that she wants. A couple of other things I had to bring this up. The power of analog. Right, have Vanessa writing the first few chapters of every book with pen and paper. No iPad, no computer, no typewriter, just pen and paper. Do you remember back to the interview with Cy Moore when he was singing the virtues of film, how much he enjoys the process of shooting film? There's something massively powerful in analogue. And finally, this has popped up again and again in these interviews, but the concept of a network. For Vanessa, it's that writer's life group. Her and a bunch of other writers, all at different stages, who just get together on a really, really regular basis. And it's one of the highlights of her of her month or her year is getting together with these other writers. What have you got? Have you got a network? Have you got a group of other people who are doing similar-ish things? They don't have to be the same things, but similar-ish things. They can be at completely different phases of their creative output or their business or whatever it might be. But the power of having a network, having other people that you can collaborate with chat with bounce things off i think that's hugely hugely important i think we all need to work harder to have our own writer's life group so there we have it episode 16 with author vanessa everts i hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as i enjoy bringing it to you until next week this has been breaking out the podcast thanks for listening